Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. On today's show, we find out exactly who Mike White is. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk. Christian Derrissaw, Ken Nuwangu, Cam Bynum. Some nice parting gifts Rick Spielman left us before he left, huh? Nice guy. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Reef Hassan with uh, Pro Football Network. My show prep is all wrong. I was prepping for White Mike. And Luke Braun from the Locked On Vikings podcast, and I just want to send my thoughts and prayers to everyone's knees. Yeah, we've got breaking Vikings injury news coming out of the gate. It's the Minnesota football party. Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's your guys hanging out talking next-level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Welcome into the Minnesota Football Party. Hope everybody had an awesome Thanksgiving weekend with family and food and football. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Find me on the Ron Johnson Show and the Locked On Vikings postcast as well. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk, joins us. He's at Luke underscore Spinman on Twitter. Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network, at Arif Hassan NFL. And Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings and the Locked On Vikings postcast. At Luke Braun, NFL. On today's show, we talk about the most favorable Vikings playoff matchups, the New York Jets, a team on both ends of the spectrum, and we'll talk about the best we saw in the NFL on Sunday with a Vikings-free day of football. But we start with the breaking news. Rap Sheet sends out on Twitter that Andrew Booth Jr. is having knee surgery. They will determine the procedure mid-surgery and find out if he's missing the whole year. Either way, a knee surgery on November 28th, not great for Andrew Booth's outlook this year. Luke Inman, that's your guy. You've been begging for him all year. You got him, and he hurt his knee. Uh, this has got to be a tough blow for, for not only your morale, but for Andrew Booth. Yeah, that one stings quite a bit, obviously. Not a great start to, obviously, Kwesi's first draft class, but... We did talk quite a bit about injury luck. It was just, what, a couple weeks ago, Vikings were one of the better injury luck teams. Obviously, they're kind of regressing back to the mean a little bit. Remember, that was one of the big reasons he even fell down to 40 was multiple injury concerns. Uh, certainly not the start you wanted in his career, but hopefully he can get back healthy and come back strong next year. Yeah, did play 68 snaps in that Dallas game, which is apparently when it happened. He didn't play against New England. So that is seen out, Booth out. Uh, Caleb Evans' health is going to be critical this week against the Jets, or else it's going to be another Duke-Shelley game and Tay Gowan game uh, for the Vikings, potentially. Uh, Arif Hassan, is this, do you think, sign or foreshadowing of things to come for Andrew Booth, who had major injury issues coming in? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, he had a number of injuries coming in. Uh, I remember when we were interviewing him coming in from the Vikings draft, um, you know, talking about those injuries, like, hey, is this a concern? <laughs> or do you have, like, clearance to ever play? What's going on here? And he said, this is the first year he's ever been fully healthy since, like, high school. 
um, which of course that turned out not to be the case. He wasn't going to be healthy that year, but um, that's alarming, right? He hasn't had a healthy year of, of football play since like his junior year of high school, which is like coming on six, seven years now. Um, I can't help but think that this is a sign of things to come for 90% of players that we talk about when we talk about injury proneness, that's usually variance at work. Sometimes a player will see two injuries or three injuries in a short period of time. We think that they're injury prone when in fact they're not. I think the best case example of that is like Matthew Stafford early in his career turned out to be an Ironman after the first couple of seasons. Right. Um, but for a player like say Percy Harvin or Andrew Booth, these injuries pile up and they contribute to each other again and again it's not a problem with the player it's that the injuries um, themselves are creating more likelihood for future injuries because they weaken ligaments or muscles or bone or change the type of motion that the player goes through and uh, and change kind of the load that they that they put their knees or ankles through um, i think a good example of that is greg childs who had uh, an ankle injury in college that contributed mm. to a patellar tendon tear in college which led to a bilateral patellar tendon tear in the NFL, if you remember Greg Trout's fourth uh, round pick for um, the Vikings. Um, so <laughs> these things can can build up in ways that are kind of unexpected. That ankle injury forced him to change his running style. That change in running style was not healthy for him, and that led to a cascade of problems. I see that it, it – my guess is that something similar is happening uh, happening with uh, with Andrew Booth. And, like, <laughs> whether or not this is, this is a long-term thing for Andrew Booth, who knows, right? But, like – I see too much from fans of people being like mad at Andrew Booth over this and like the same thing with like Irv Smith and anybody else that gets hurt a lot. Calm down. It's not his fault, man. Like he's doing his best <laughs> to, to not, he's not getting injured on purpose. And I, I feel like people see it as like a failing of the player when they get injured. It's like, I, should he have worked out his ligament more? Like there's not really a, that much of a preventative way. If anything, it's because he did it. He, tried too hard to play through injury when he was younger. He shouldn't have tried so hard. What the like hell, man? Coming back. Yeah, he should have been lazier. Gosh, Andrew Booth. But I don't know. Like, <laughs> calm down. Especially if you're, like, not a player. Like, if you're like me, if you weigh under 160, you don't get to get mad at players for being injured. No. Well, that – shoot. That puts me under the threshold, too. We're all out. Too. Darn it. <laughs> um, let, let's, let's level set things. So, the Vikings are 9-2. and two. They had a mini buy, good chance to take inventory of where they're at, get a chance to see the rest of the league. So now that you've had a chance to digest the, the Thursday game, take a look at where the Vikings sit. What is the most realistic outcome for this Vikings team in the postseason? There is going to be a postseason, almost definitely, 99% chance the Vikings will be there. What is the likeliest scenario once that occurs uh, as far as where they end up in this thing? Arif, let's start with you. Um, well, so I think that most likely the Vikings will end up with a second seed. That is probably not an enormous uh, surprise, right? You know, the Eagles are probably going to have the, the top seed as the division winners of the NFC East, the Vikings, the division winners, the NFC North. And then you're left with basically the NFC South, right, which is just a mess. They could end up with a division winner that has a losing record. Uh, and the NFC West, which is fairly unimpressive as far as the top level goes, at least in terms of the record, right? And so I think that you're all, I'm not going to say they're locked into that second seed, but it's the most likely. So they'll have home field advantage all the way to the conference championship game should they get there. I am concerned that they'll get punked by an NFC East wild card. Uh, and so I think that they probably 
um, you know, win. Maybe they win that first round, but I don't see them getting past the divisional round. I think that that's probably the most likely outcome for the Vikings at this point, which, you know, for, for me, I feel like that's optimistic, right? I feel like, um, you know, I've been talking about, you know, the potential for a first round loss all, the, all this time. I think that the Vikings have something in them that they could win that wild card round, but it is tough for me to see them winning that divisional round. Ron? Yeah, about, about the same. I figure, like, if, if you go with just who's favored in all the rest of the games, Vikings will probably be favored in the rest of their regular season games. I think the hardest one to be favored in might be the Jets, maybe the Giants, but both those are at home. Um, same with the Eagles. I think they're favored in the rest of their games. So that gives you the two seed, and that gives you whoever the seventh seed is in the wild card round at home. So that means it's, it's not very likely that you have to play like Dallas it's not very likely that you have to play like San Francisco. You're, that's going to be the commanders. That's That could be the Giants who have a tough schedule coming up who might fall away a little bit. They might even fall all the way out of playoff position. Um, so, yeah, I, I see a playoff win and then another home playoff game against a tougher opponent. That's when you maybe get the Cowboys or the 49ers or whatever. That is a much tougher game to win. Um, but again, home in the playoffs. Doesn't seem that crazy. I don't know if they would be favored against the Cowboys at home, considering what happened last time. I don't know if the betting market would, uh, but I don't think it would be like a two-score spread or anything like that. Like, you're not looking at it as an impossibility. But in terms of most likely scenario, yeah, I guess beat that seven seed and then tough game in the divisional. That would be hard to get past that part. Yeah, probably don't catch the Eagles. Sucks because, by the way, was it two years ago? Both the one and the two seed got the bye. But you look at their schedule, I still think the two seed, awfully attainable, guarantee a few home games. That first game, looking at teams like, you know, we'll get into it, but Washington or Seattle, maybe Atlanta sneaks back in. Feel fairly confident about that, knowing you're at home. But like these two just said, I'll kind of echo it. You know, once you get in that second round where you're looking at Dallas or San Francisco, I mean, those those teams scare the heck out of me, even at home. Knowing you have the home field advantage certainly helps, but I think this is a team that unless we see some more improvement defensively down the final stretch, playing teams that you just don't seem to match up well against, teams with great offenses and can get home with a great front four pass rush, that concerns me quite a bit. So knowing you'll likely have to beat either Dallas or San Fran and then go into Philly, I mean, as much as we say the NFC is wide open this year, those last two games to get to the promised land feels awfully tough, given how they've played against those teams already. Saying that, the Philly game you can almost throw away at this point because this Vikings team is night and day beyond where they were in week two. The Dallas game, though, that's a lot tougher to shake off at this point in the season. Let's see Mm -hmm. how they finish this final stretch and see if they can build off last uh, last week's win a little bit because the plan all along was no matter how they started, just on paper with a new coach, new system, they should be playing their best football at the end. And just like this, a much better team than in week two that got smoked by the Eagles, you hope by the time the season ends, they'll be even better than they are now. So that second round and on kind of scares me, but that could change by the time we get there too. Yeah, I have serious concerns about this defense holding up for three games to make it to a Super Bowl. Um but I think the two seed is like an 80% lock at this point. Think of it this way. The Eagles are basically two games away because they have the tiebreaker. So if the Eagles lose two, which is realistic, 
the Vikings would have to run the table. Is that going to happen? I don't know. I mean, I think more realistically, the Vikings lose two of their own, then the Eagles would have to lose four. That's not happening. However, I think that same logic applies to the 49ers catching the Vikings. 49ers are two games back. I don't think they're going to be two games better than the Vikings in the final six games. That would mean the Vikings lose two and the 49ers run the table. And they've got a tough stretch coming up. So I think that two seed is almost locked, to be honest with you at this point. Um, I think there's a better chance that they catch the Eagles if the Eagles like go cold in this three-game road trip. But I don't think it's a high likelihood. Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't we pivot into rank them your ideal first-round matchups for the Vikings? Right now, it would be the Commanders. Is that the ideal matchup? Is there another team you would prefer to play of the realistic teams? So I think the Giants would be in the mix. Uh, the Seahawks would be in the mix. I don't know if I'd put the Cowboys in the mix, but you can throw them in there as well. Um, Falcons, maybe. Who would you like to play in the first round? Inman. Yeah, I I think the wheels are slowly falling off for the Giants. And given their injuries they've dealt with, too, by the way, can't really blame them. But I think them or Washington, knowing you've already beat them once despite the refs doing everything they could to help those commanders, those are the two teams I think they match up the best against in round one. Seattle, Tampa, kind of right behind them in that second tier. Seattle not only has the weapons and talent, DK Lockett, Kenneth Walker, but you never want to play a team that's playing with kind of house money in the playoffs because they they got nothing to lose. Everyone knows they weren't supposed to be here. So I'd much prefer to play a team like Washington or New York than Seattle or Tom Brady, even if he isn't playing normal Tom Brady football because you just never know. Yeah, I, I think actually I would not mind playing Tom Brady given how that he's playing. You know, I think we should consider Dallas as, a, as an actual possibility. I know that right now they're the top wild card. Um, but, you know, things could go awry. The New York Giants could beat them, right? You know, it, it is entirely possible that they slip down a ranking or two. I mean, right now, I believe the playoff picture has five, six, and seven, the rest of the NFC East. So it is Dallas, New York, and Washington. Um, and I think Dallas would be the worst of the realistic possibilities. And again, I do think it's realistic. After that, um, I agree with Luke that Seattle is probably the next worst matchup. I mean, that defense can sometimes just give up on them. I mean, there have been like three, at least three games this year where the defense has just been catastrophically bad in baffling circumstances. But uh, beyond that, I mean, you know, they've got a great group of rookies on that defense and, you know, frankly, on the offense as well that I think would make it a, a difficult matchup. I think that after Dallas and Seattle, I probably would be more worried about the New York Giants just because of how good that coaching is uh, and how effective they've been able to use Daniel Jones uh, and the fact that they seem to be getting healthier as opposed to more injured. Um, you know, Wandale Robinson, for example, has come on strong the past couple of weeks, even though he didn't really do that against um, uh, or, or against the Cowboys. Um, so after that, that's probably where I place Tampa. And then after that, I probably put Washington and then, you know, Atlanta, if, uh, if you know, like that's a possibility. Right. If, if uh, Washington loses out a couple more games, Atlanta happens to win a couple. Atlanta's got the possibility of getting a seven seed. So that's probably how I rank that group. You'd rather play Brady than Daniel Jones. I'd, I'd rather play the current constitution of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers than the current constitution of the New York Giants. Plus, I mean, take a, I mean, take a look at the statistics. I think that Daniel Jones has much better expected points uh, per per play than Tom Brady does. I mean, there is a threat there, right? And you know, the Vikings against running quarterbacks. Ah, it's not. If like, only Brady had not... like a career to to look back on and, and wonder if he might be able to <laughs> just perform to lean in the on a little bit there. Yeah, just some you know, experience. the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, he's signing his divorce papers. He's fine now. 
Uh, he's good now. <laughs> yeah. They might have just lost Tristan uh, like Tristan what? Worfs for the year, yeah. too, by the way. Yeah. If if only like we had some evidence there. as to oh, whether okay. or not we should trust career playoff performance or season-long performance heading into the playoffs, which one tends to predict a little bit better. If only someone had done that kind of work and informed my opinion about whether or not they should play Tom Brady at 45 years old. But alas, we have no idea. <laughs> alas. Somebody, alas. Someday someone will do that research. Luke Braun, what do you think? Here's what I want. Um... I want Atlanta. I want Atlanta to win the NFC South because they're not good, but they might win it anyways. And then I want uh, the Cowboys to end up in the sixth seed and beat the 49ers. And then the Atlanta Falcons to upset whoever gets the five seed and then make it to the divisional round. And then the Vikings win their game. That would set up the Vikings in the divisional round against Atlanta. And then the Cowboys and Eagles play each other, take each other out for us. And then we can get to the NFC championship. That's what I want. And to your point, too, Sam, just trying to figure out Eagles, Cowboys, how many more losses realistic. Cowboys-Eagles do play each other one more time, so one of those teams obviously has to lose. And then uh, Eagles play the Giants twice as well, too, so that could go either way as well, too. First Luke, round, Washington. So your, your preference would be Washington first round and then the Falcons in the second round to get to the NFC Championship. However that may happen. Is that, how that about, correct? How about Giants first round? Because I don't believe in them at all. And then the Falcons. Yeah. What, what, take, what are the reasons that you don't believe in the patrol. Giants that you do believe in the Vikings? Pass rush? Or uh, I thought I thought you were going to end that sentence with Commanders. Um, and like everything that has made the Vikings fraudulent, I feel like the Giants have been worse about. Worse? Like I feel like all They're their really wins like the are stupid. Team yeah, with a slightly worse quarterback that knows how to run the ball. Yes, that <laughs> the the worst <laughs> quarterback. The, the worst quarterback part. <laughs> But with the worst quarterback, yeah. So, of course, I believe in the team with the worst quarterback less. <laughs> yeah. They got, you, Better offensive reason. line. Better offensive line. <laughs> the Andrew Giants Thomas have like wins. Than, than, like, Blake Brandle or whatever, right? Come on. Andrew Thomas is up there with Christian Derrissaw. Andrew Thomas is up there with Christian Derrissaw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I don't believe in the Giants. Okay. Okay. They haven't, they haven't sold me. Saquon Barkley, 200 yards against the Vikings in the playoffs. We'll see. If the Vikings go to Detroit and lose by, like, three scores, then we'll have this conversation. Going to have a Brian, Westbrook, a Brian Westbrook kind of game <laughs> if, if, on the oh, road for the Vikings. Playoffs? Yeah. Yeah. Y yeah. Oh, wow. We'll get a repeat of 41 Donut, huh? Mm. <laughs> now we'll get a repeat Is repeat T, of, is T uh, also going to be the quarterback? Rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to see Kirk Cousins throw some some jump passes in homage. <laughs> <laughs> That's his next um, act. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Well, he's getting more mobile all the time, guys. Look out. That's true, yeah. He's making, making some plays. What did you like about watching football yesterday? I, I love non-Viking Sundays because it gives me a chance to kind of take inventory of actually what's happening in the NFL. Um, I don't watch the all 22 of every game like Arif does because he has a national writing job. Um, I loved seeing two teams go for two at the buzzer, basically, to win the game. That was awesome. Trevor Lawrence was nails down the stretch, and he zipped that ball in on the two-point conversion. I don't know about the call on the touchdown. I'd be a little upset about that if I were the Ravens. But love the decision by Peterson. Love the decision by Staley 
to go for it because, you know, the Chargers actually have something to play for and something to lose. And, uh, and Staley, I knew I could trust him. I knew I could trust him to make that decision. And he did, and they pulled it off. I loved seeing that. What did you guys like about your Sundays? Yeah, you're right. What a great week to not have Vikings football, just kind of watch the landscape of the NFL. I think 10 of the 14 games were decided by uh, one possession. Two of them went into OT. You already mentioned the two walk-off winners on the two-point conversions, Jags and Chargers. But I think out of all of them, it was the Sunday night game, Green Bay-Philly. That was just wild because you got to see Jalen Hurts rewrite the record books, 158 rushing yards. And then you got to see Jordan Love come in for Aaron Rodgers actually look a little sharp, even if it was against Philly's prevent defense. So the drama that's now going to ensue in Green Bay, it's just going to be awfully fun to watch for Vikings fans in the NFC North. Mm -hmm. well, we should talk about Green Bay before it gets too far away. That's but Reeves, talk to say. me about uh, – well, yeah, well, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's talk about Green Bay. Um, Aaron Rodgers has a rib injury and a broken thumb. He says he wants to play this week, and he wants to play as long as they're still in the playoff hunt. That might not be long. Is this it for Rodgers in Green Bay? And if you're Green Bay, would you go forward with Aaron Rodgers? I'm not well, sure they have a choice. What's the dead cap? If they just let him walk next year, what, what are we looking at? What's the dead cap? It depends on whether or not he's retiring. If he retires, they can recover yeah, I, some of that based off of like signing bonus arbitration. Yeah. Do, do you have um, either Jason or if he retires from, uh, or if he walks? 31, nope, sorry, nine, 99 million dead cap next year. Stop it. Um, Jason Jones and I know the cap did an article <laughs> yeah. about how they can recover it. it. It's still like 40 million over two years. Like, that's the best they can do. Um, mm -hmm. But they can, like, rework some of that. I feel like I was watching the, the Sunday night game, and I was like, okay, I guess we got to go Packers, right? We need the Eagles to lose. And, like, mm -hmm. by about the second, middle of the second quarter, I was just, like, enjoying the Packers demise. I can't do it. I, I tried to root for the Packers. I couldn't do it. <laughs> they made it a ball game though. I mean, it was 2020 there for a bit. They came back a little what bit at the end game. and then they just couldn't stop the run. Um, any concern that Jordan love, is he going to be the next legacy guy? I mean, the odds seem really low, right? Like even if we uh, don't fall into the trap of, uh, of saying, well, what are the odds that they get, you know, three Hall of Fame quarterbacks in a row or two Hall of Fame quarterbacks? I mean, these odds are fairly independent of each other. If they're not independent of each other, they're dependent in the wrong direction, i.e. the idea that Green Bay might be able to uh, have a particular talent for finding quarterbacks, right? So um, even if we ignore that, right, the odds are pretty low that a guy who doesn't get significant snaps uh, after his first year, uh, even knowing that he's behind a Hall of Fame guy, um, is 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 you know going to be the next coming? I mean, his statistics this year are fantastic. He's also had 18 passing attempts. Uh, his preseason has not been fantastic. Um, his camps have not been great. He started off his rookie year as the third stringer behind uh, a person I believe named Tim Boyle. Um, so a, hu that, a human that being named Tim Boyle, a Homo sapien. Yeah, C certainly <laughs> Tim Boyle existed because he later appeared on the Lions roster. But, <laughs> you know, next to next to such notable humans that definitely exist like David Blau. So um, I he doesn't exist. I, I find that key to the Vikings, <laughs> David Blau, key to the locker room. Yeah. Uh, Purdue legend, the best quarterback Purdue has ever produced. Don't fact check that, please. Um, Just trust me. <laughs> I guarantee but, it. But, uh, 
But no, I, I I find it pretty pretty difficult to believe that somebody who's had to um, had to stay kind of benched for that long, especially in the modern NFL, has it. I had so many concerns about him coming out as a rookie in the draft. Anyway, let's assume that draft evaluation is still relevant at this point in the process because we know very little about Jordan Love, and I just. Uh, He's one of my one of my least favorite first round picks at quarterback in, in in a little bit. Although my least favorite turned out to be an MVP candidate in Josh Allen. So what do I know? <laughs> I feel like if Taylor Heineke suited up and had that exact same game that Jordan Love had, we would all be like, "Yep, normal Taylor Heineke game." <laughs> Make of that what you will. He has one fi- sure. five of yeah, six, yeah. Taylor Heineke. <laughs> He's got Maybe it's not, the um, only team he couldn't beat was Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. There you go. Maybe it's <laughs> not Jordan Love they should be concerned Love. about. Maybe it's Christian Watson who has a 50% rate of converting catches to touchdowns in the last three weeks. He has 12 catches and six it's touchdowns. The last Very explosive weeks? touchdowns, by the way. <laughs> He's a big player. Yeah, I machine. remember Jeff Janis too, man. I remember Jeff Janis. Don't worry about it. Jeff Janis. <laughs> Arizona Aldrick Cardinals Robinson playoffs. level. Divisional round or whatever. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, for the purposes of my takesmanship, I will have to defend the argument that Christian Watson is garbage and will always be garbage and is no good at football. And why was he even draftable? Um, no, I. We're <laughs> taking that clip that... out of context and putting it on social media. <laughs> Uh, you've been arguing sustainability stuff all year this should be this is right in there uh what that like a backup quarterback throwing to uh, a receiver that wasn't able to play in training camp after people have stopped playing against a backup safety is not really good indicator of how good uh, a player might be that he had 30 yards before that 63 yard touchdown pass after the catch um yeah i don't know man i there's there's not there's not a ton of arguments i have about christian watson um, you know, maybe, maybe the fact that he always seems to drop the first target headed his way, uh, seems to be kind of <laughs> an alarm bell that, that should be ringing. I mean, drops don't matter until suddenly they do. I think that, you know, I found that, you know, uh, for the most part, drop rate does not tell us about how quality a receiver is, what their impact is on winning until you get about to the 12% mark. And Christian Watson is real close. I mean, he's past 12%, but he's real close to just being, that kind of alarm bell. I think that one thing that a bunch of the drops don't matter guys found out after they started following the spring leagues is that the reason drops don't matter is because they don't matter for receivers that happen to crack the starting roster. Once you don't crack the starting roster and you drop the ball all the time, you matter a lot. If you ever, I don't know how many of you ended up watching uh, a significant number of AAF, XFL, or USFL games, but uh, games were not swung, I. not by how talented the quarterback was, although Case Cook is, um, but by how good those receivers were at just holding on to the ball, man, it, the, the, the drops matter after a certain point. So uh, the Chris, Christian Watson concerns me because he's not technically developed. He is just a pure athlete. We've seen a bunch of pure athletes in Green Bay uh, fail out before. That includes not just Jeff Janis. That includes uh, uh, Charles Johnson, who used to mm-hmm. start for the Vikings. Oh, God. Um, that's <laughs> that's their Tory Starting Gurley. wide receiver I remember Charles Johnson. Back. Starting wide receiver Charles Johnson. So Friend a bunch of the of Ron Johnson show. Out. 
Be nice to Charles hey, Johnson. Winner of the Laquan Treadwell. I, I like Charles Johnson. He has, he has a phenomenal personality, uh, and he was the best receiver in the AAF that year for the Orlando Parlos, but uh, did not did not pan out as a starting receiver for the for the Vikings. But, yeah, I mean, we've seen a bunch of super athletes not do well after having some highlight performances. This is just not enough for me to be concerned about Christian Watson yet. Plus, I mean, he went to a school that just uh, that has not put a, a good player in the NFL yet. So, anyone watch that I the, can uh, say that actually. <laughs> anyone watch the end of the Bucks Browns game yesterday? It was about fourth and twelve. Yep. Uh, the oh. first drop I've ever seen Amari Cooper make. Yeah, not contested, no defender around. Wasn't trying to turn up field too quick. Just the first. Just Did you miss Amari Cooper's drop. rookie year. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah. What, <laughs> what happened? He got traded from the Raiders because of drops. <laughs> a lifetime ago. I saw that, Luke, but then I saw him make amends in overtime. Big catch and run, which put him in position to win. But how about the Njoku catch, though, to tie the game? That oh, wow. was phenomenal. That was phenomenal. Man, I'm so glad that Jacoby Brissett's going to be the starting quarterback for the Browns for the rest of the season. Uh, there's no way that that could change in the next week uh, and no reason that one would make this a talker. He's just played so well. I don't know why you would replace him, especially given how great of a guy he seems to be. Yeah, at uh, this point of the year, I don't know what could change yeah. now <laughs> at this point to see any type of quarterback controversy whatsoever. I completely yeah. agree. But no, I mean, that, that was that was a great throw from Brissett to, to David Njoku. That, that Bucks browns game, despite going into overtime, is maybe one of the most boring one-possession games I've seen in a while. I'm so glad yeah. it finished with that uh, with yeah. that touchdown at the end. I mean, because that it was it was such a slog. Um, and another reason I'm not that concerned about the Buccaneers, right, is that they couldn't do that much against a backup quarterback without a ton of support. If I'm going to be completely honest, obviously they have a great running game, but um, yeah, I just that's eh. the the game ended really excitingly. I'll say that. And, I mean, the Packers-Eagles game, um, for all of the excitement it provided Vikings fans for either helping the Vikings get that first seed or uh, seeing a Packers loss, basically a win-win for Vikings fans, um, also just turned out to be a super exciting game with a bunch of lead changes. Kind of fun to see that. Mm -hmm. 73 points in that one as well. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.net. It's your number one source for all sports wagering information. You can get football lines, basketball lines, soccer lines, World Cup and esports. It's all at betonline.net. Vikings and Jets. J E T S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Uh, minus three. The Vikings are favored with a 44 over under. So, really, about the same as the Patriots line on Thursday. Vikings minus 155 on the money line. We will have our gambling picks on Thursday. You can get that line and all the NFL lines, plus plenty more, at betonline.net. Get it on your mobile device as well. Betonline, it's where the game starts. Let's talk about the Jets, fellas. Mike White beats the Bears yesterday, who started Trevor Simeon. That's a blast from the Vikings' past as well. Uh, rainy day in New York. Jets looked good. Defense looked good against a bad, a bad team. Um, offense looked good. Um, Elijah Moore got involved. Uh, Mike White over 300 yards. Who is Mike White? Um, Arif, you seem to have a Mike, you, you kind of have a beat on Mike White. I feel like I just, I just know it. Give me the Mike White <laughs> lowdown. Um, well, so Mike White is a, he was a super productive guy at Western Kentucky. I mean, I, I think a lot of people remember Bailey Zappi for producing like insane yardage over at Western Kentucky. Mike White did it first. 
Um, he is uh, somebody, I remember uh, scouting him in the draft. It was either Eric Elk or Matt Waldman, who was like, hey, there is something in this guy because, you know, a lot of these guys are really difficult to scout coming out of that system where you're throwing for like 5,000 yards. You're always in shotgun. You're always, but that's what the NFL kind of looks like right now. Um, obviously it's not like the air raid exactly. I mean, we're seeing how the air raid fail in Arizona, um, but he did a pretty good job making decisions quickly enough in an offense that changed uh, in front of like the receivers would change into option routes fairly often. Um, his performance under pressure was a big question. I remember that being kind of like a, you, you didn't get to see a ton of pressure, um, but um, you know, he was, he was somebody that uh, I think he replaced uh, not a, not a Heisman candidate, but a pretty good, a receiver candidate in Quentin Flowers at South Florida before transferring over to, to Western Kentucky. So he was somebody that uh, ended up with, um, you know, kind of a, a fair amount of, of draft pedigree to go into it. Um, but, you know, overall, I mean, a lot of the quarterbacks coming out of the system are, are somewhat similar in that, you know, sometimes they get stuck on that first read. Uh, sometimes they don't have, you know, as big of an arm as you might want. That's why they get recruited into these programs as opposed to programs like in Clemson or the SEC. Um, you know, and and I think that, you know, kind of like Gardner Minshew, it's kind of the same thing here where, you know, he sometimes shows really good anticipation, but he does have some trouble getting off his first read. He doesn't scramble quite like Minshew. But in this game, you know, we were able to see what kind of what that decisiveness meant. What was interesting about White is that he has had, I think, I want to say, five games or six games where he's thrown at least 10 passes and in three or four of those games he has got like a 100 plus passer rating and the other two games he has a passer rating below 70 his ability to make quick decisions sometimes extends into his ability to make bad decisions quickly uh and so that is kind of the thing that you would want to take advantage of if uh you're game planning against somebody like a mike white um i don't know i kind of like him a lot uh but i think it's pretty clear that you know he very obviously is a fifth round pick and um yeah i mean he's he's won the jets locker room right that, that's worth something right but uh you know clearly he's not gonna be a long-term solution for them but if he's not gonna be a long-term solution for them i don't know how much better that offense is gonna be we saw you know the washington offense get a little bit better with taylor heineke in there instead of carson wentz i think in this case we'll probably see the jets offense get a little bit better with heineke than with uh than with wilson but you're losing a lot of the big play potential that you got um with uh with zach wilson then again, Garrett Wilson did have a number of pretty big plays in this game. So it is possible that the Vikings could get burned. But I don't think it'll be deep. I don't think it'll be like yards after the catch type stuff. Yeah. So I was told that Skylar Thompson was the greatest thing since sliced bread when they played Miami. Is Mike White greater than or less than Skylar Thompson? That is the bar for all third-string quarterbacks that play the Vikings. Bron, do you have a, a beat on this? I don't have great Mike White takes. That said, I'm going to go with All right. less than. Skylar Thompson is slinging, man. I don't know if Mike you White has that in him. You love Skylar Thompson. Skylar him for that like, was the PFF like, quarterback leader in, in like every PFF was obsessed with him. He was outstanding for PFF's gradings. I remember him coming out of 2018, uh, Mike White, that is. And, and remember, 2018 had this crazy quarterback class. Five going the first round. Baker, Darnold, Allen. Um, Josh Rosen, Lamar, and then it was like Mason Rudolph by himself in like the second tier. That's right. And then it, yeah. Mike White, top of the third tier with like, who else was drafted? Uh, Kyle Laletta, I, I believe, was the other oh one drafted God. ahead of him. Oh, um, yeah. But New I York just Giants. remember, so, so it was like third, fourth round grade. He ends up going the fifth round to Dallas. I just remember the baseball background people kept bringing up that he could have went that <laughs> route, maybe had a shot at the MLB. You kind of see the arm strength. He's got a good fastball. Some of those throws yesterday, absolute bullets. 
chunk plays in the middle of the field. And from everything I've seen and remember, when he's got time in a clean pocket, he can make a lot of throws. But where he's all, always kind of struggled, like a lot of guys, especially young guys in the NFL, pressure gets in his face, pocket starts to get a little muddy, tends to fall apart a little bit. I remember at Western Kentucky, he took a lot of sacks. It was like 45 sacks or something like that. Not much mobility Yeah, he has like negative 270 rushing yards, right? Because they count sacks as rushing. Yeah, yeah, something, cra- yeah, yeah. yeah something crazy like that. Yeah. So not a lot of mobility, pure pocket guy. Protection breaks down. He just kind of really relies on that arm strength to bail him out. So, you know, I look at the Viking game, I guess. I know Zadarius is a little hobbled around on one knee, but you still got Hunter, Wanham, Patrick Jones. That's one of your better depth positions is your edge rushers. Hopefully the Vikings can get after him early and just try to rattle him a little bit, even if that means, you know, maybe giving up a big player too, as opposed to playing that soft coverage we see a lot, just rushing for, letting him get in a rhythm early on, on the road, because he's got the arm strength for sure. And now he's got weapons, unlike last year, didn't put up good stats. I think he started three games, played in four, not good stats, five touchdowns, eight interceptions, something like that. But he's got better weapons now this year. And, you know, if Mac Jones and the Patriots offense can move the ball in this defense, then I'm sure they're watching the tape this week saying, we can score some points, too, on this Vikings defense. Um, I mean, he even got the corpse of Elijah Moore resurrected back to life yesterday. That guy was ready (laughs) to sit out on the bench, uh, you know, for the year just three, four games ago. So between him, Garrett Wilson, who else they got? Corey Davis, Tyler Conklin. I think he's got enough weapons to move the ball. If Again, he's got that clean pocket that he needs. Tyler Conklin revenge game. Uh, Mike White mm-hmm. has thrown multiple picks, and, and up until yesterday, that is, had thrown multiple picks in each of his starts where he didn't get hurt in the first quarter. Um, so like you said, kind of sloppy with the ball last year. Did have a 400-yard game that came out of nowhere. I think he led the league in yards that particular week. Um, but the Jets, going into yesterday, were 32nd in offense per PFF. First in defense per PFF. So polar ends of the spectrum. Um, I, I guess it kind of comes down to, do you think the Vikings can move the ball on a really good defense again? Uh, the Cowboys said, nope, you can't move the ball. Patriots, they moved it great. Um, the Bills, they moved it fantastically. So can this offense get points on the board and get a little distance between themselves and Mike White, force Mike White to make some sloppy throws? What do you like about the Jets' defense, Bron? It, yeah, sauce. In the draft, I said that if I had the number one overall pick and I were the Jaguars, I would have taken Sauce. And that feels like it has borne out. He's insane. So I think the key to that is going to be either, like as a just a neutral football fan, I kind of just want to see what happens when Justin Jefferson goes against Sauce Gardner. Like, let's see that rookie really get tested, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. But as a Vikings fan, I want them to keep him away from Sauce Gardner. Will the Jets allow that? Will they just have Sauce follow Jefferson everywhere no matter what? How are they going to approach that? I think that's going to be a huge key. And then it's also, I mean, we're still kind of in the middle of this like D-line gauntlet with like the Bills have one of the better D-lines, the the Cowboys, the Patriots, like these are some pretty incredible pass rushes. And against Dallas, it ended up defining the entire game. The the O-line had a disaster class that would make 2016 TJ Clemmings jealous. Um, But like, can you avoid that again happening at home against the Jets? Can you keep Kirk Cousins clean and can Justin Jefferson, can you find Justin Jefferson ways to get open or can you just accept that one-on-one and maybe Justin Jefferson beats Sauce Gardner? That would be dope. There's a whole bunch of ways for this to go, but I don't know. The Jets have like a lot of different threats at kind of every level on both sides of the ball. They definitely feel mm-hmm. 
like a little more real. And if I feel like if they weren't in the division they were in, I feel like we'd be talking about them more. And yeah. this is Salah's like, thing, a real right? quarterback. Salah generates yeah. pass yeah. rush. Salah is a defensive-minded guy. This is kind of what they expected from him, right? Yeah, I think so. And what's what's really cool is that they've turned some players that were having uh, good years before Salah arrived into having great years, um, or even players that you know were not remarkably well regarded into into really high quality starters, right? So like Quinton Williams, for example, might be playing like the best defensive tackle in football. That's not an exaggeration. I'm not saying you know that that you know Quinton Williams is playing good and I'm using hyperbole to say that he might be playing better than Aaron Donald right now he might be playing better than Aaron Donald right now he is having a phenomenal season on the edge you know they've got a first round pick in Jermaine Johnson he's actually not playing all that great but that doesn't matter they've got John Franklin Myers who's doing a fantastic job no one's ever heard of him he's one of the league leaders in pressures right now he's got a great pff grade i know that you know that's something that people like to research going into it and he deserves it he's playing really excellent football they've got a really deep edge group, right? If Jermaine Johnson, the first round pick is, or one of their three first round picks uh, is, uh, is, is kind of like behind the group. I mean, they've got, you know, Bryce Huff is doing stuff. They've got, um, you know, Michael Clemens doing stuff. It's like, they've got all kinds of players that are willing to rush the passer. They've got the capability to rush the passer that after you take that first line out, they've got a second line willing and able um, to continue to put pressure. This is kind of one of the things about, you know, say for example, that Bill's pass rush, right? That, that front line is fantastic with Ed Oliver and Von Miller, you know, when he's healthy, you know, they've been able to do a bunch of really great stuff, AJ Epinesa. But, you know, the depth issues that the Bills have had, both because of injury and just because of the nature of the depth that they have, kind of like the Vikings, you know, once you get out of that first group, you know, it's not that great. The, the Jets don't have that problem. As soon as they get into that second defensive line rotation, they're really fantastic. And so that to me is the bigger concern. But I should add that, you know, when I mentioned players that were pretty good or kind of good having really high quality seasons, DJ Reed, you know, at the other side, opposite Sauce Gardner is having a really great year, too. And so you've got two corners that are playing really well. You don't know kind of, you know, hey, is DJ Reed playing well because the pass rush is playing well and Sauce Gardner is playing well? It doesn't really matter because the fact is that pass rush is going to be there. Sauce Gardner is going to be there. And so it's going to be really difficult to find ways to get open. Yeah, I would take Justin Jefferson against DJ Reed for sure um, if you got that matchup. But it's not as if you know, you're moving away from, you know, like Patrick Sertan to, to the, the second corner of the Broncos. It's not as if you're moving from, you know, the top corner that some of the teams, like, you know, the Patriots, for example. It's no Jair you know, Alexander to Eric Stokes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Eric Stokes is injured. Be respectful. Uh, but no, um, yeah, exactly. You know, moving from that top corner to the second corner typically is a, is a huge problem for the Jets. It's not a huge issue. Um, and so they're they're pretty good in a lot of areas. They're getting production out of that linebacker group. I mean, they're seeing, you know, players like CJ Mosley do some stuff. You know, it is it is kind of fun to see kind of what those linebackers can do. Quincy Williams, I believe, is is back again healthy. Um, Quinton Williams' brother, who was drafted by the Jaguars like in the third round or something crazy like that. Um you know, he's actually he's playing pretty well, especially as a pass rusher when he's blitzing. So they've got they've got players uh, at all levels that are performing within their roles really well that make it pretty dangerous to kind of deal with. That said, I don't think that they're the best defense in the NFL. I think the Vikings have already played that in Dallas. Right. Um, I think that, you know, the possibility exists that it's Denver. I mean, th this defense does have some holes in it. I mean, John Franklin Myers is great, but he is not you know, Bradley Chubb or Von Miller or anything like that. I guess Bradley Chubb's no longer on the Broncos. But, you know, he's not like um, an elite, elite edge rusher, right? Quinton Williams is playing, you know, the best football, you know, that, that we're seeing out of the defensive tackle this year. But he's not necessarily paired with a, a monster in the same way that when Aaron Donald was paired with Michael Brockers, you got to see, you know, some really high-level quality defensive tackle pairing. 
Um, so there are there are some issues on the defense, but I mean it is a top five defense. It's going to be hard to um, find ways around it. I think that probably you want to rush to the edge, maybe with some wide receiver end arounds and stuff like that. Um, but uh, for the most part, you're just going to have to trust that Justin Jefferson is talented enough um, to get open because I think the Jets will trust their own defense to to do some one on one matchups. Coming up next, we've got uh, Nerdy Stat of the Day and then Party Fouls to close the show. But first, let me tell you about Lockdown Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Lockdown can provide. Lockdown Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Analytics fans rejoice. It's time to get educated. Whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. With the Nerdy Stat of the Day. This is the best graphic I can. Every time. It just it just tickles the little you, heads going it? up the chart. I love it. Yeah. 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 Uh, check us out on YouTube by the way, like, comment, subscribe. Arif, your nerdiest of nerdy stats. Let's let's bring it today. Uh, this is probably mid-level nerdy. I've gotten nerdier. I've gotten less nerdy. Um, this one is just a comparison of the way the Viking special teams have done uh, based off of you know different measures that one would use. So expected points on special teams. The Vikings ranked fifth in the NFL. For people, again, I'm familiar with expected points. It is the concept that, on average, an NFL team will score certain points given a certain field position down a distance. So first and 10 from the 25, the average NFL team scores, say, I don't know, 1.9 points or something like that, right? Um, so if, for example, on a kickoff return, you return the ball all the way up to the 40, you know, that over the course, you know, the average, uh, you know, expected points off of a kickoff might be, you know, 1.8 because most of those end in touchbacks, you know, maybe because you've brought it to the 40, you've increased the expected points to three. That is 1.1 additional points you've added to the team based off of your kickoff return. So that's a pretty good example of, of what that means. The Viking special teams unit is fifth in the NFL in expected points added. Some of that has to do with stuff that is not sustainable, things like block kicks and punts, things like fumbles that they've recovered, but that the Vikings have, you know, when the Vikings fumble, they recover their own fumbles. When the Vikings force fumbles, they're also the ones that recover them. Some of that's not sustainable, right? And so that gets sh that shows up in stuff like the Vikings uh, you know, special teams grade on PFF, which I believe is 23rd or 24th in the NFL. That is not a great special teams grade, despite how well the special teams are doing. The biggest difference, of course, is Greg Joseph, who is PFF's lowest graded kicker on uh, field goal and extra point kicks, not kickoffs. He's doing well there. Um, the reason that there is such a disparity in expected points versus PFF grade is because PFF grade cares a lot about that specialist grade in their rankings. But uh, expected points don't actually ding Greg Joseph too much. Why? Because he's missing extra points, which, yeah, they're worth a lot. They're worth a, an entire point. The expected point on an extra point is about one. But if you add five extra points, right, if you add five expected points to um, the Viking special team's expected points overall, they're still fifth, right? Because the, there's a little bit of a difference between them and fourth. I think it's about seven points. Uh, and the field goals that he's missed have all been 50-plus. Those are low-expected point field goals anyway, so the drop in expected points is relatively small. That's not to say the Vikings shouldn't find an alternative solution to Greg Joseph this offseason or figure out what they can do to fix Greg Joseph. A couple points here and there does mean a lot, and it changes kind of the tenor of the game if you miss some extra points. But overall, the Vikings special teams unit is stellar, and I think that needs to be recognized. Hmm. Super nerdy. Luke Braun. That's not, I don't think, quite as nerdy as, like, deep special team stats. Um, I got a question a lot about 
why Mac Jones wasn't under more pressure against the uh, Patriots. And the answer is that they got the ball out quick. Uh, Mac Jones got the ball out, according to PFF, 2.56 average time to throw, 2.56 seconds. That was sixth fastest in the league for week 12. But it wasn't all like tiny Mickey Mouse, like quick game stuff. There were eight passes, including two touchdowns that went beyond uh, that were completed beyond 10 yards. So there was there are pretty big existential problems with the way that the Vikings are uh, playing zone right now that the Patriots were able to exploit and they were able to exploit it fast enough to still have like quick game rhythm in terms of the pass protection and the pass rush like still had like no time to get to the quarterback, even though you're able to throw deep, which is supposed to be the whole like trade-off where the deeper you throw, the longer you have to hold it. The Patriots kind of got their cake and ate it too. And that's why they were able to move the ball down the field. Um, and that, I think that is the most like pressing issue facing the Vikings right now is how do you get that intermediate level to not be so wide open immediately where the things that Zadaria Smith and Daniil Hunter are doing Zadarius in particular is doing something very special right now. And a lot of it is going to waste because the Vikings can't cover worth a damn. Yeah. Zadarius still had five pressures in that game. I think people were, were tweeting, ah, Zadarius isn't making an impact. He's playing hurt. Five pressures is a pretty good performance, even though he didn't really get home. Um, you cover reasonably. Uh, he has 12. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. Like he was beating the guy immediately every time the ball is just out. My nerdy stat of the day, three and out totals. Minnesota Vikings offense and defense both very poor in this particular regard on offense. They are tied for the eighth most three and outs in the league. They are tied with the Saints at 32. The leader in the league, by the way, is the Panthers at 39. Fewest three and outs, the 49ers. Just 14 of them this year. How about on defense? Hmm. The Lions have forced the fewest three and outs in football. They have forced just 15. Tied for second, the Vikings and Bears. Not great if you're an NFC North defense. Uh, the Vikings and Bears have both forced only 19 three and outs this season. Number one in the league, the Broncos. Number two in the league, the Packers. They have forced 36 and 35 respectively. So the Packers give the NFC North a little bit of respectability there. But, uh, yeah, if you're the Vikings and you want to, you know, extend drives more often than you are, that'd be nice. If you want to get teams off the field faster once in a while, that'd be nice. But a couple of alarming trends there on the Vikings uh, side of things. Not a very positive stat there if you're a Vikings fan. Uh, let's end it with party fouls and then hit the road for today. Luke Inman is having technical difficulties, and he is endeavoring to get back with us. But let's cue up the party fouls music and run it. It's time to tell you who spilled their proverbial drink on the sofa. Get ready for this week's party foul. Luke Braun, kick that it off. So sad. Yeah. Uh, mine is going to go to the, the Chicago Bears, who are. I'm going to say that's got to be their rock bottom, right? The Jets benched their healthy quarterback. To get him right, and the, by the way, the Jets' like party line here is Zach Wilson, we think we can fix him. He just needs to not focus on game plans for a while and get his mechanics right. They chose you to do that against. They chose your game, <laughs> and you lost 
by three <laughs> scores in the rain to Mike White. You got rid of every good player you had to fix a salary cap situation that wasn't even that bad. And now teams are like willfully sacrificing their chances to win your game and still winning it by three scores. The Bears need to do some soul searching or go join the XFL. Get out of my league. <laughs> Coming in hot. I like it. Whew. Okay. Uh, I, I was just trying to get all of the details correct for my party file. It was the way Todd Bowles managed the game against the Buccaneers. Let's see if I can get this. Uh, uh, or sorry, for the Buccaneers against the Browns. Let's see if I can get this right. So they had a fourth and two with the Cleveland 37 in, in the middle of the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter. That would have been a 54-yard field goal. That is within Ryan Suckup's range. That's fine. It is a tough field goal to make, but most coaches in the modern NFL would opt to kick that field goal. Instead, they intentionally took a delay of game penalty to move the ball back five yards so that they could punt it. Of course, that game ended in a tie, so those three points would have been really nice. But... Also, we did see the one last chance they had with 32 seconds left. Again, I'm taking a look at this other screen to see if I can get this completely correct. They had all three timeouts remaining and Tom Brady under center. And, you know, I, I, I've been digging on Tom Brady all year for his performance, but there's one thing that you kind of want to count on him for. It is that fourth quarter comeback. We've seen comebacks with 13 seconds left, 17 seconds left, 20 seconds left, 32 seconds. Seems like it is trivial to try and get within field goal range. They did not try to do that. Instead of using any of those timeouts, they hurried up to the line of scrimmage to run a play, burned 12 seconds for no reason at all, then finally snapped the ball. It was a deep pass from Brady to Julio Jones that ended up picking up 26 yards. Could have used those 26 yards with mm -hmm. a little bit more time. Uh, that is when they used the first timeout with eight seconds left on the clock. Again, they had three. They only used one. They could have been closer with 20 more seconds on the clock if they had done that so there are two seconds left in the game after that uh there was a uh, after that play which is a, an incomplete to camera break would have been nice to been able to run two more plays that were not able to they ended up having to run a hail mary with tom brady's arm so uh which didn't work out obviously they ended up going to overtime the cleveland browns ended up winning the game uh todd Bowles mismanaged that game egregiously uh in a way that is uh mm -hmm. very uh annoying given kind of you know i don't like tom brady i like to see him lose but um, I don't like to see him lose like that. I want to see him lose on his own recognizance. I want to see him lose on on his own talent. Let's go with that word. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean to pile on red zone here because a lot of people are, but um, I like many didn't get to watch the Josh Jacobs 86 yard run yesterday because of NFL red zone policy that once you get down to the final game, you have to cede to the local affiliates. Well, the only markets that had that game were Seattle and Las Vegas. There were really no one in the Midwest was going to see that. No one on the East Coast saw that. Uh, you had to have Sunday ticket or you had to have the local game on your affiliate. But Scott Hansen, he told us, he said, go to your CBS affiliate. We went to our CBS affiliate. It was 60 minutes. I love 60 minutes, but not when there was an overtime game, 34-34. I wanted to see the end. And I had to, uh, to see it after the fact on Twitter that Josh Jacobs – got loose for 86, gave the, the Raiders the win. Um, so And got over 300 scrimmage yards. Yeah, holy cow. Wow. Big game for Josh yeah. Jacobs. He's 11th yeah, he's, player in NFL history. Kind of, yeah, yeah, trying to save Josh McDaniel's job. But yeah. that was a party God, foul on red zone. Soul. They do a lot of great stuff. I love them. I don't want to rip them, but I got to rip them for that one. 
Um, I don't know if it's on Red Zone Luke so much as it is on, on like uh, the negotiated policies in CBS, right? CBS mm-hmm. should have just aired the game. Yeah, I, I yeah, think it was issue. ultimately. Yeah, I think it was ultimately admitted that Red Zone made a mistake, but like. It, that that mistake came from like somebody made a mistake and Red Zone should not have cut away from that game because it was not national. Like, oh, was I didn't know that. Okay, okay. I, oh, that's Scott Hansen tweeted right, something about like about how like yeah we shouldn't have done that and then he also basically said like but that order came from on high not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Hansen, you are hand. precious. No one is blaming you. <laughs> yes, you're a national treasure. So I guess party foul, the last one goes on Luke for for leaving us during this part of the show. So we hope to see him again on Thursday where we make our gambling picks. We talk more about the Jets and we'll have... Second party foul on Luke for blaming someone else for his problems, by the way. I won't say who. That's the Minnesota (laughs) football party for today. He's Luke Braun, Locked on Vikings postcast and Locked on Vikings. Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network. Go check out his work. A happy belated Thanksgiving to all.